Gary and Lou, as the parents of this house, I want to honor you. Thank you very much. I want to honor the, the eldership team, the leaders for this opportunity. I don't take it lightly. I'm talking about God, but God into restoration. And I'm going to be touching, just so that you walk with me, through three distinct areas. In, in our case, we had a war, an attack, if you will, on three, dif three different sides. I will take you through a dark place in my life um, and what it is like to plan your own suicide. I'm going to take you through a place where we had completely destroyed our marriage. We should not be married today. And then I'm going to talk you through the journey of financial destruction and how God restored us. And my key text is going to be in 2 Chronicles 20, and I give honor to Bron wherever you are. Wave your hand at me. Is she here? I know I did see Bronwyn earlier. Uh, could be next door. Where she's, She had a brilliant intro last week into 2 Chronicles 20, but I'm picking up from verse 18, and I'm going to start down there, but I'm going to focus today on verses 24 to 30. But let's start at the beginning. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell in worship before the Lord. Then some Levites from the Koshites and Korites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa, and as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes. Oops, what happened? Oops. Am I dying? <laughs> I'll carry on. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert, they looked down toward the vast army. They saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing, and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took them three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the valley of Barakah to this day. Then Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of, the, fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they had heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest 
on every side. So my story starts in 1995, where I was operating within a particular industry, and I'd done a sideways career move, and things changed. Circumstances happened, and it was beyond my control. And we had to close down the South African operation. And for the first time ever in my life, I found myself unemployed. I looked back, looked at myself, and I thought, "Well, I'm degreed, I'm experienced, I've got knowledge, and I will be able to get out there and do something. I've got this." But I didn't. After ten months of being unemployed, I was absolutely depressed. I was rejected at every turn. I was told I wasn't good enough. I was too tall, too short, too fat, too thin. I was everything but right. Every time I went for an interview or wherever I went. At that stage, Sherry and I had built a large home, and in 1995, you'll recall, for those of you who can, that the interest rates started to spike in South Africa, and they spiked to the worst levels of interest rates ever recorded in the history of this country. Sherry was earning a brilliant salary at the bank at that time, but on her own, she could not hold our monthly expenses. And our financial situation regressed and got worse seriously by the week. I'm not suicidal, and I don't want to tell you that I treat the subject lightly. But I got into that dark place where I had it all planned. I had everything down to the T. I was so desperate. I was in such a bad mental state that for me, suicide was the end of my pain, and it would do away with everything. I started to change my daily routine. I prayed. Well, actually, that's not true. I begged. Uh, I cried before God, and then I started to praise and worship. I'd bought a fancy hi-fi system on one of my overseas trips, and it was one of those stacking systems, and it had a big volume control knob. And the first sort of like three quarters of its volume control was calibrated in like little black markings, but the back quarter was calibrated in red. And I'd start off every day in praise and worship, and I'd turn that volume control to grill, because that was the only way that I could drown out my pain and my sorrow and my sobbing. But I wanted heaven to know I was serious, and the only way that they would know is I was going to make a joyful noise. That's how I began my days in praise and worship. And then the Holy Spirit, sensing what I was about to do and how I was going to end my life, stepped in and intervened in the form of my wife. I had to humble myself. I had to become her PA. I had to work in her office, and much like Jehoshaphat, where he put his pride in his pocket and he worshipped and bowed himself before his people. 
I had to become less. I can tell you that we witnessed, Sherry and I witnessed, a miracle in one day. It wasn't a process. It wasn't over time. It was one day. And in one day, the Lord opened up a brand new career to me, set me on a new path, and I've never looked back. There's some principles that I can take away from that. And like Jehoshaphat, the first one was I had to get to the end of myself. And when I was truly surrendered to the Lord, he could take over and he could make a way. That journey of 10 months, I can assure you, has changed my life perspective forever. Today, I do not look at what I have, uh, at what I don't have in my hands. I focus on what I do have. And that is very important for all of us. It's about focusing on what God has given us, not on what we don't have. I've got breath in my lungs, and every day I work as if unto the Lord. There were two scriptures that carried me over this period every morning. The first one is Matthew eleven twenty-eight, and it says, Come unto me, all who, are la- who, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm, I needed to come unto him. I needed to get his rest, and I needed to get his peace. And the second one is Psalm 100. Now, if you look at Psalm 100, it's not a long psalm. It's a very short psalm of about four verses. And so Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Not that mine was joyful, but I made a noise. Um, he wants us to enter his gates with thanksgiving. And you know why? Because praise, I learned, is the highest form of prayer. And when you don this garment of praise as it says in the word, you lift the spirit of heaviness. And God looks down at you and he goes, Man, praise looks good on you. And I needed that. I wanted to end my own life. Because in my eyes I was useless as a husband, as a provider. But God had other plans. When I thought it was game over, But God intervened, and he gave me a new career, one that I find absolutely rewarding, and I'm completely grateful for what he's given me. I can tell you what uh, a ruined marriage looks like. (laughs) Sherry and I first got to know each other as friends. We dated. Well, we were friends for three years. We dated for a very short period of time and quickly got married. And you know, when you get married, you think you know somebody, right? (laughs) The Bible says God brings husband and wife together and they are united as one, and this is a mystery. (laughs) Right. It's a mystery. I can tell you that the first 10 years, we were blissfully unaware of our issues. However, they started to surface and fester like a boil. And then for some years after, Sherry and I continued to struggle. And this reached a fever pitch one day where, with a particular set of circumstances, that boil burst. 
So there we were. We put our marriage on the table between us as husbands and wives and everything that a husband or a wife should never say to their opposite spouse. We did. We poured out the acid of years of anger and frustration and hurt and disappointment upon each other until there was nothing left. Well, almost nothing left. And then the little that was left, we each proceeded to pour lighter fluid over that and we set it alight. Our marriage was burnt to ashes. And if I've got to be very honest with you and stand back now and look at this situation, I can honestly tell you that there wasn't anyone that was more to blame for where we were than the other. Um, it was just what had happened. You get to that point and the only thing that is left for each of you to do is to part go your own way and go and find a divorce attorney. Neither of us slept that evening. I woke early the next morning and Sherry was not around. I walked into the lounge and she was sitting on the couch and she said, I've never slept or hardly slept all night. Neither had I. And she said, the Holy Spirit has spoken very clearly to me. We can't go ahead with divorce. <laughs> we just can't do this. So, independently of each other, we decamped to different parts of the house and we started writing a letter to each other. I wrote a letter to Sherry and I poured my heart out to her in this letter. She, unbeknownst to me, was doing the same thing. We needed help, serious help, and we needed it fast. And it came from the most unlikely source. Sherry had seen a marriage course being advertised by another church up here in the northern suburbs, and she phoned that pastor up personally and said, this is where we're at. You've got this marriage course. We need to get onto it somehow. And he did. He made space for Sherry and I, and off we went. She spoke to me and she said to me, this is what I've done. I've booked us onto this marriage course. And you know, where you've got nowhere else to go, what do you do? You go. To be honest with you, I went and that first night uh, I walked out and I thought this first session, uh, I used the term feeble. I thought the first session was feeble. But I followed the homework. I was prepared to put myself down and humble myself and stick with this program. I was prepared to do anything. We lasted all eight weeks of that course. It entailed putting some practices into place, and when you put enough practices into place over enough time, those practices become habit. And we had to do some habit building, and we had to do some growing up, and we had to put on our big boy panties and our big boy undies, and we had to just take ownership of the situation. And that's what it took. The scrambled eggs were now lying all over the floor, and there was no way that the two of us would be able to stuff them back into their eggshells. The only way to start for us 
was to start slowly, painfully, and I can tell you this prayerfully. We couldn't do this on our own. There was no way. And we desperately needed God's intervention. When I look back at some of the principles that we started to apply over that time, I can tell you the one thing that we desperately needed was community. And we got it. Community is what carried us. We relied then and still do rely heavily on prayer. Our journey, of course, was slow to begin with. And along the way, guess what? I stuffed up, she stuffed up. But we were prepared to continue to fight for our marriage. When you are so desperate for something, you actually become a sponge. And I was so desperate for any nugget of personal truth. And Louise came and she did a fantastic uh, preach one day. She was talking about the head brain, heart brain, and gut brain. And she'd gotten this from Dr. Dr. Acker Horman. And, and she, she did this preach. And I'm like, wow. I, I was fascinated. So off I'll go home after the service and I dive into YouTube. And there's yo list of YouTube videos by... Dr. Acker Horman, and I worked my way through all of them. So um, I just need to warn you that you thought that your wife was the only one that's got a weird brain in this church. There's two of us. God help your soul. So I dived in, and I was so desperate. You know, when, when you are looking for a breakthrough, you don't only need prayer. In my case, I needed effective prayer. Uh, there was no way I was going to walk around and throw words out there. I wanted them words right the way up to the top. I needed it in heaven and I needed an answer. I, I, I needed to get this thing fixed. And that's what I wanted. And you see, I learned through Dr. Ackerhorman that it's really just a matter of perspective. When you understand who you are and whose you are, you've got the right to march all the way through the very courts of heaven into the throne room of God. And it's your right to suddenly lap and cry. And it's your right when you are standing in that throne room, it's your right to put your petition out in prayer. I found that prayer from the throne room of heaven is so much easier when you stand next to Jesus' feet and you push your petition down to earth because I can assure you I have tried pulling heaven down to earth and it's a lot, lot harder than effective prayer from the throne room of God. Effective prayer comes from knowing whose you are and who your father is. By all accounts, I can tell you that today, Sherry and I shouldn't be married. But God had other ideas. You know that that simple marriage course that we did, Sherry and I were gifted that material, that course in totality. 
We've gone on to present that course more than once and in more than one church. Left on our own, we should be finished. But God had other ideas. He used our brokenness and our testimony as the very means of reaching other people, other couples, in the same place as us, going through that same journey of pain. I can assure you that every year, Sherry and I work on our marriage in some way or form. If we're not looking at that material, we're looking at other material, or we're doing a course or something. But every day, uh, every year, we look at our marriage. I can tell you today with all honesty from this pulpit that our marriage today is on solid ground, built on the foundation of Christ alone. We have a deeper, healthier love and respect for one another today than when we first got married 27 years ago. We actively look for ways to build each other up. Our home is no longer a war zone. Marriage conversations between the two of us take place in a safe space. There's no anger. There's no rancor. There's no spite. There's no malice. We have open adult conversations with each other today. You know, a couple of years ago, we coined this phrase, carpet time. And there are random moments where we have no TV, praise and worship music on, and that's us. We hit the deck, praise the Lord. I can assure you, when you've nearly lost it all, there's so much to be grateful for. So much to praise. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace. For his God had given him rest on every side. That is what our marriage is like today. We're at peace. And we... <laughs> so through all of this, shortly after we marry, I'll talk about finances. Because this part's going to be pretty easy. Now that I've got the heavy stuff out the way. We thought that we had this calling on our lives to the world of finance. Uh, and it wasn't a distinct word that somebody had given to us. We just knew, we had a feeling that somehow we were going to get involved in, in finance. And when you believe that you are called into this world, into this kingdom of finance, where's the one thing that you're going to have a challenge with? Finance. Exactly. So I want you to think of every stupid mistake and dumb choice you could make in life around money. And we made it. More than once. I can assure you. I can tell you that it felt like we had one foot nailed to the floor and we were going around in circles. Can anybody relate? Through our financial journey, we had to sell two houses. And then we were forced to rent because our situation had actually become so dire. 
And I can tell you that we ended up renting for 14 years. After the 2008-2009 great financial crisis, credit granting, not only globally, but also in South Africa with banks, became a whole lot tighter. And if I had to tell you that in the natural, it looked like Sherry and I would never own a property again, I do not make that statement lightly. We had a hankering for years to own our own home. And for, th for those of you who rent, uh, you will understand this very well, that renting comes with its own unique set of challenges, called a landlord. And every now and again, he wants his property back. And after this 2009 crisis, we were renting in a, a cluster complex, and this guy had been the principal developer. He'd sold off some, and he'd kept some of those units. One of them we were renting. He was obviously with an interest rate that had spiked to close on to 25% at that point, was starting to feel the financial pinch. So he knocked on our door one day and he said, listen, I'm putting these places up for sale. Do you want the unit that you're in? I'm offering it to you first. We would not get it because the banks wouldn't give it to us. We were in such a mess. So he sold it out from underneath us. So he came back. And he said, not a problem, two houses up, that house is empty. You can move in there. So we gave new meaning to this word, move house. It was like a Laurel and Hardy movie. We were carrying the furniture out of this door, two houses up, and putting it in that door. I mean, it's comical. You're not going to believe it. We were no sooner settled in there when he came knocking again. This one's also sold. Got to move. Now, I can tell you that... I'd worked through this place of depression and desperation, and I was not in a good place at all. Completely despondent. Sherry says, leave this to me, I've got it. So off she goes, and she finds us a place. She says, come, I need you to have a look at it. We signed the lease. You know, at first, you don't know if God is listening to you. You don't know if you are encountering breakthrough. And the reason... I discovered that was simply because your situation is so close to your face that you don't get to see what God is doing because it's too close to you. And when we take a step back because of circumstance and you get a bit of perspective into your picture, you start to see the hand of God. And ours came in the form of on the third year that we'd now renewed this lease, our landlord had not increased our rent at all. And I looked back and I went, wow, this is amazing. Stepping back a little, in 2005, I'd started my own business, businesses, with a partner. A couple of years later, I ended up with those businesses, and a couple of years later, Sherry had joined me. And if I have to tell you what a financial shambles looks like, uh, come and sit with me, and I'll explain that to you. We had debt everywhere. Everywhere. Some, due to our own actions, and others just due to the most unbelievable, bizarre circumstances you can imagine. So I can tell you that Sherry and I were existing. We weren't living. 
The one thing that we couldn't do was default on our debt, purely because if we did, we would lose our licenses to operate. So, rent got paid on time. Debts got paid on time. And for us at that stage, Habakkuk 3.17 became so real, and I want you to read this through with me. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattles in the stalls, and the banks knock at the door to repossess the cars, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on heights. And in the Amplified, that last verse 19 says, And he makes my feet like hinds' feet. He will make me to walk, not stand in terror, but to walk and make spiritual progress upon my high places of trouble, suffering, and responsibility. Amplified says it's so great. I could tell you that there was many a day where that scripture was relevant to us. As a man and as a provider in the home, I can tell you how it feels when you've paid all of your debts and obligations towards the end of the month, and the month hasn't yet finished, and there is no money for food. And the front door bell goes, and you've got friends walking through your front door with boxes of groceries. I can tell you what that feels like from both a gratitude perspective and from a humiliation perspective, because as a man, I felt like I'd failed. I know what that feels like. Through the season, I can assure you, we learned what it, what it means to live a life of gratitude and prayer. Over all of this, I've just shared how our marriage has now fallen apart, and we were in a desperate place. Sherry and I started talking and sharing and putting some spiritual practices into place, and we started to laugh, and we started to dream. We started to dream of what a future would look like with no debt and what a future would look like with our own home. She'd come to me, our business was growing, we had staff, we were doing, on the face of it, we were doing okay. And she said, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do this on our own. We need a bigger player that's going to merge us and take us into a different space. And I can assure you that that course of action set off a chain reaction and a miraculous series of events. Over the past six years, God has fully restored our finances. Sherry no longer works. We have zero debt. I've got cash in the bank, and I've got a solid retirement plan. 
when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So, so Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why it's called the Valley of Baraka to this day. God sees our pain, and he hears our cry. He is a loving, good, good father. He is a God of second chances when you think that there aren't any. When Sherry and I rented a property, we took an oath that we would be the best tenants that were ever in those properties. I'd pay my rent on time. I wouldn't give the landlord any hassles. If there was stuff that was broken, I'd fix it. I wouldn't tell him. And I can tell you what Saturdays looked like with me pushing my own lawnmower around somebody else's garden and crying for my own home. I can tell you what it looked like on a Saturday afternoon with my weed eater and my gut trimming somebody else's grass on the edge and their verge and their pathways. I believe God saw this and he honored it. You know, Sherry and I don't do date nights, so we do date breakfasts on Saturdays. And there are two rules when we go to breakfast. Number one, focus. And if you don't know what this means, Sherry is 40% uh, deaf, so she's got hearing aids, and if she, this doesn't happen in our house, she don't hear anything to begin with. Um, and then there no, there's no phones. And our favorite conversation topic still to today is to dream cast. And I don't know about you, but our, uh, our favorite is to dream. When was the last time you dared to have a big dream? When was the last time you as an adult went out and went, that's really what I want and this is my big, hairy, audacious goal? We don't dream enough, you know. Our kids do, but we don't. And I could tell you that ours was to have a house. And Sherry and I would sit and we'd laugh about, she'd go, I want a bedroom big enough that I could have a dance party in. I wanted an office that was big enough that I could have a lounge at the bottom of it, had to have bookshelves and stuff. You know, Richard shared a preach a couple of years back about words have substance because words are substance. And God hears everything that we say. And I want to ask you this. Are you choosing your words wisely? Or do you easily trash talk your life? Do you easily rubbish your situation? I'll never get out of this. I've married to a horrible spouse. Do you talk that kind of talk? Or do you talk yourself up? So I've got to ask you this as a principle. What is it that is coming out of your mouth? As I've mentioned, our finances have radically changed. 
and we've seen our situation over these past six years multiply year on year, not grow, multiply year on year. The end of 2017, we bought our house, moved in in March of 2018, and I can tell you that God moved, met every desire of our heart for that home, everything. I can tell you that when we moved into that house, on the day that we moved in, the previous lady who owned it moved out and gave me an operating manual on my landscaped garden. What plants go in, when they go in, how do I spray the roses, everything. I can tell you that every week, our body corporate comes in with their lawnmower and cuts my grass. The body corporate comes in with their edge trimmer and cuts our grass. I'll never cut another blade of grass ever again. I gave my stuff away. I believe God honored my crying. Last year, Sherry and I had big plans for our patio. One of the things that we really wanted to do was have a venue that was big enough to have big church groups and leader groups, hint, hint. Um, and our patio was it. So we had big plans to do this. Of course, then COVID hit. So Sherry and I sat down. Uh, I got my face very close to global economics, and I realized immediately what this was going to do from a financial impact and how people were going to be seriously hurt financially. And we then had to take a decision and ask ourselves this. Could we go ahead with this very expensive renovation whilst watching nearest, dearest friends and family suffering with loss of income, no money? And our answer was an emphatic no. Quick one, let me quickly flash back. In 2007, when we had our own business, uh, we formed a family trust. We were in the trust business, so I could do it, and we also, at that point, in 2007, in the midst of everything, we realized that we would have a kingdom finance calling. Now, just so that you understand what a trust is, it's a vehicle that is used for protection of assets. It's not a fancy tax dodge or one of these fancy schemes. And you've got to remember that this was at the height of our financial problems, that I had more financial problems than you could shake a stick at. We used that trust last year that was formed in 2007 that now miraculously had assets to conduit money into Sherry's and my hands that we could pass that money out to people that were going to need it and that were desperate. Just so that you know something about trusts, they registered at the Master of the High Court by their number, not by their name. You call your trust anything you like, within reason. Our trust that was registered in 2007 as our family trust that last year pushed money into my hands that we could pass out to other people is the Baraka Trust. They entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. So let me land this. Today, Sherry and I live a life of gratitude and thanksgiving because we've got so much to be grateful for. 
I wanted to end my life because I saw no self-worth whatsoever. But God had other plans for me. Through our differences, our immaturities, our lack of relational skills, our marriage teetered for 20 years. But God stepped in and took control. He took our brokenness, put, it back, put us back together again, and in return gave Sherry and I a ministry. Together we stood before our Father, and just like Jehoshaphat did, we cried and pleaded because we felt like we were being attacked on so many fronts. And the Lord started to answer our prayers through a series of inappropriate decisions and stupid mistakes. Our finances were ruined, but God stepped in and redeemed us and gave us a purpose. We are now in that valley of Baraka, where like Jehoshaphat, we're staring at this harvest and we're reaping financial goals. The story can't be complete without reference to the finished work of the cross, to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Because as you, as you well know, Jesus is our great restorer. He came, he paid the ultimate price so that we may be restored back to him and in return being restored back to our Father. Like I said, I'm grateful.